Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction, here with your host, Nick Munez. Today we have got Terry Hunt's The Statues That Walked. This is a certified hood classic. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are going deep on all the mysteries that you're missing out on on the Patreon page. This is what we do month after month, just giving you a sneak peek. Don't get used to it. Have you ever seen in your life a statue or a piece of art that was so beautiful it made you go mad? It stole a piece of your sanity? Old Dum Dum, the big Moai. Were that for the Easter bunnies? That's what I assume people from Easter Island are called, right? Easter bunnies? Yes, thank you very much. This is a certified hood classic. We've got a quote up top. The island was dominated by a powerful chiefdom that promigulated a cult of statue making, exercising a ruthless hold on the island's people and rapaciously destroying the environment. Terry Hunt is going to take his little climate change stand today. If he really cared that much, why don't you write a book about the Amazon being deforested in real time? Garbage island in the Pacific, it's bigger than Easter Island. This change we could be making continues as the population swelled in order to sustain the statue cult, growing well beyond the island's agricultural capacity. A vicious cycle of warfare broke out between opposing groups, and the culture ultimately suffered a dramatic collapse. A tale as old as time, drawn connections to today, civilizations have their signing of the declaration, growth, decay, and then collapse. The Moai are resurfacing in our memes every time I say it. That's the name of the statues, Moai. In our crumbling civilizations, what is going to be considered our idols that we were building and maybe it's the memes they get shared around and walk around the entire earth i think it's funny that <laughs> these giant stone statues are once again captivating our consciousness i'm gonna try to embody that guy from the uh, x files today no, no no it's ancient aliens these statues were found all around polynesia you're telling me that one group of Rapa Nui, the name of the locals, were able to put 150-ton stone statues onto their wooden canoes? There's a lot of um, holes in the official story here, and it's a truly deep wabbit hole that you could get lost in. We're just scraping the surface today, but asking the bigger questions. This island was hold home to a Birdman cult. Easter Island was like the crossroads of the world for a minute and the final chapter is a really tense one that's when the settlers come up on easter sunday and meet the locals make sure you stick around and again this is what the feel for the patreon episodes are this year asking those bigger questions speaking of which here's an ad welcome back over there on that page hikes memes in-person podcast it's a great follow for only a dollar you are missing out about the author terry hunt not much about this guy online he wrote the book along with a guy named carl lipo the only blurb i found about either of them was on amazon terry hunt has a lifelong interest in spiritual development at the age of 19 he served a two-year mission at france and switzerland for his church 1973 had been devout to studying and sharing the ancient wisdom teachings he is a sage in one way or another. I was listening to the winds attempting to track this guy down. Really nothing about Terry Hunt online. He is the hunter, not the hunted. <laughs> Bad joke.
before we get into this thing, here is another lean. The Statues That Walked, Chapter 1, A Most Mysterious Island. Terry's already gunning for author of the year. Within the first paragraph, he laid out his thesis. The mystery surrounds how few so people on a remote island, treeless and impoverished island, could have made and transported hundreds of the eerie gargantuan statues called Moai. Ancient Aliens goes an entire episode without even mentioning what they're trying to get at. Without the resources and without the manpower, how, where did these things come from? And that's when you start thinking UFOs. How did, like, primitive, imbecile natives move 70-ton rocks? The, a U.S. Army Chinook, you know, those two rotor-blader helicopters, they can only lift 10 tons apiece. It would take a whole fleet of these to lift one of these things. Option A, you could say leverage. Option B, vibrations, man. Option C, extraterrestrial. Or option D, extra testicles, motherfucker. They, maybe these people were 20 feet tall. They had nuts hanging down to their leg. Maybe they had four nuts in their sack. And that's how they had all the testosterone to move these things. Terry writes... To see these statues, many of them situated upon equally impressive platforms called Ahu. It is the sense of a hidden drama of compelling human propositions. It is a calling out for the noble society that created them. The big thing is here, and there's an entire chapter on it, these statues are on top of even bigger platforms which don't even apply to modern building standards. You cannot fit a credit card in between the way they were able to match up these stones. It's amazing masonry. And what he said at the end of that quote, all of the Easter Island heads are facing towards the center of the island. It's like at my old desk job, all of the peons, we had to face the inner wall of the office. Meanwhile, all the execs have their windows overlooking this lake with a giant fountain. We could have just swiveled our chairs around. Nope, you have to stare at the wall to be productive. All of the statues are staring towards the middle of the island. Another theory was that they did this so that you don't feel like you're welcome. All the people that are sailing by, if you saw the statues facing out, it might have been inviting. But like a Jeffrey Epstein Island, <laughs> a little St. James Sex Island, he had that combat ring and there were all these torches facing inward. If I was sailing by in a canoe, I would go straight by Epstein Island. The backside, most of the statues are wearing thongs. If you look at pictures of them, that was the Rapa Nui clothing. And they had what looked like scissors in the back, some sort of tool tucked into their belt. I would turn around too if there was... 40-foot stall t stone weapons, you know. Actually, I might try to have sex with those statues. I don't know. Obviously, inward-facing didn't work forever in 1722. That was when the Europeans came sailing through. The settlers kept calling the place Polynesia and Tahiti. Basically, Columbus out here lost as fuck. No, trust me. I've seen Indians before. You guys are fucking Indians. Terry was saying the locals called themselves Rapa Nui, quote, Rapa Nui is characterized by a modest landscape of rolling hills. The island was born less than a million years ago when the coalescing eruptions of three seafloor volcanoes reached the surface. One searches in vain here for refreshing streams, let alone a flowing river. Most of the water is found in lakes formed in the three volcano cones. 
throw some of the trickles out numbers of small springs so they got fresh water there and there's giant volcanoes this is like a jumanji 2 into the jungle <laughs> with jack black and the rock the rock basically is a giant moai statue they had to like ascend the volcanoes in this giant adventurous island Easter Island is where you go to play with Lara Croft outside of the metaverse. Uh, the early missionaries, they were failing to convert people to Christianity. They wrote in their journals about the wretched living conditions. Terry went deeper into the history than the first account, which we'll come around back to. He was saying in 1100 AD, the Samoa and the Tonga tried to colonize the entire Pacific. So any island that was inhabited by the Tonga or Samoa, they were just called Polynesian. So they're both right. They pull up, you guys are Polynesian. No, we're the Rapa Nui. They're one sect of the other. You're Indians. Mind-blowing part about Easter Island is that it's 12,500 miles from Cook Island or like Hawaii and that's where the Samoans would have left from. That's one hell of a way to float in your raft. Unless we don't know something about the sea levels back then. Makes even more sense why these people like were shanghaied on Easter Island. I'm not going back floating 13,000 miles again. This is one of the most remote islands in the Pacific. So instead of trying to find a way off for a thousand years, they just started building statues. <laughs> Terry made it sound like they were happy. They were surviving off of palm nuts and fish and they walled themselves off. You know, countries like China that need to keep their cattle in their social credit system, they create the Great Wall of China. Well, actually, the Great Wall was to keep the Mongols out. Shut up, I'm making a point here, you commenters. You could try your luck and leave Easter Island at any time. There's no laws against it. They had canoes, like, it, the people must have been happy was the point Terry was trying to make. It's the same thing U.S. settlers would defect to go live with the Native American tribes. None of the Native Americans voluntarily became taxpayers. They love our technology. They don't want to touch our banking system. That's how it should be. Easter Islanders were the original, like, redneck natives. <laughs> what kind of engineering did they do? What could they have gotten done if they had chainsaws? It's the same theory with Egypt. We'll end it on those fucking slack-jaw, cat-praising idiots. They didn't build those free energy devices. The Egyptians moved into the pyramids with their Jewish slaves, and they started drawing on the walls. You know, a bunch of Persians? <laughs> That's what it really was in 6000 BC. But we're taught the official story. Start watching more Ancient Aliens. <laughs> That's not the topic of today. There's a bigger mystery at hand. What was the cataclysmic event that reset the entire clock? We'll weave back into Egypt and some other bigger mysteries. Chapter 2. Millions of Palms. Terry starts this one out saying, Seeing Rapa Nui today, it is so barren and exposed it is hard to imagine that the land was once covered with a dense palm forest. Reconstructing the nature of the island's forest and explaining the timing and causes of dramatic loss would be critical to understanding the whole story of the island. This guy's the Lorax, I'm telling you, for a hundred of the 280 pages this guy was talking about trees. 
continues his fetish. Similar to their cousins that survive on the Chilean mainland, these safety trees towered the heights well over 100 feet, making them among the largest palm trees in the world. They grew slowly, perhaps taking as much of a century to reach maturity, bearing tons of fruit they lived off of for hundreds of years. The palm nuts were falling at terminal velocity. He said 100 feet high. That's insane. <laughs> this is a real first world problem here. If you live in Southern California, you cannot park underneath an extra tall palm tree. You think you found a spot here, you got... Nope. It's because there are a thousand orange nuts on the ground. It looks like someone unloaded their paintball gun. You will crack your skull if you stand underneath one of these palm trees. Everybody needs to slave 80 hours a week, even though there's thousands of pounds of palm nuts on the ground and an ocean full of fish right there. <laughs> He's going on about these people cut down their source of food, the palm nuts, eventually. That was their one consistent source. You can't always count on the fish. The moai, he said, is also a, I just said the name. It's a symbol of abundance, and this <laughs> Henry Ford work week is all about scarcity. I'm going to sound real hippie here. Unless you want to talk about trees, <laughs> Terry is like the tree-hugging hippie, and I'm the anarchical one. That's not a word. I'm just talking about our overlord's love for satanic scarcity. Give me a bit of leash here, Terry, with his fucking ten-page crunchy talk. There is a theory that bluestone has healing properties, and I'm not one of these star sign bitches who keeps rocks in my apartment. But do some research. The Turkish bluestone monoliths were walked to from around the world is where people made their pilgrimage to back in the middle ages it was considered an ancient hospital just because it had this one type of stone you might have heard of gobekli tepe is one of these sites so they also found at uh easter island they did a stone flake sample and it has a high content of bluestone as well so they're thinking maybe this rock is able to heal the sick and i understand i sound crazy right now i saw a thing on this uh place in greece and everybody there one in three people live to 90 years old and the average age is 10 years older than the average american they have rocks there that give off a slight amount of radon radiation so it's like um the old meaning of a vaccine. You give yourself a little bit of the disease or a little bit of radiation every day and your body gets stronger. They're friggin' on Krypton over there in Greece. That's why those Mediterraneans actually live so long. Uh, they're saying that these blue stones that the Moai were made out of were probably... Uh, like, even in some one of the ceremonies, they would pour water down the face of the giant statues, and then they would drink the water coming down off the stat and say it had healing properties. That's some pretty cool lore right there. Go under your luminescent lights and get your surgeries here, though, because we're smart. I researched this stuff on my own. The Blue Rocks, Terry is kind of cucked out when it comes to the true mystery of this place. He's just talking about cutting down trees. Every civilization cuts down lumber to make shit, dude. Like, we're the dumbest iteration of humans ever. We wouldn't even know how to cut down a tree. If you gave someone an axe, they'd cut it down and fall on them. Given enough time, I think I could have moved those statues. All you gotta do is push it over onto a bunch of logs. You know, those stone roller techniques? 
and then you take the log from the back, move it to the front, and you keep moving it. You, I, you understand? Innovation comes from the fringes, baby. Paris claimed to be the center of the world for most of the Middle Ages, and we watched Notre Dame burn down a couple years ago. <laughs> it's like wooden bullshit decorated pretty. A lot of modern houses don't stand as long as an Ahu would. These fringe island builders were some of the biggest innovators making 10-ton statues before, I don't know, Roman arches. If you licked a bluestone in the middle of Notre Dame, I bet they'd kick you out, right? No, the only way to fix illness is to pray to the almighty heavens. Can I try eating healthy? Nope. Ten Hail Marys and five boosters. <laughs> Terry... He had some relevant information about core samples of Easter Island. They estimated in 1500 AD it was a big old luscious landscape made of forests. So these core samples are what he's making his predictions off of. For all the ribbing I gave him, he's pretty much right. The current pictures look like the window screensaver. There are zero trees on this island. <laughs> like they cut down their one reliable source of food, I'm saying. I don't know, a third of the people eat themselves to death in our civilization, die of obesity and heart conditions. <laughs> like, what's a more interesting collapse? I don't know, we destroyed the Colorado River the same way they destroyed their ecosystem. These are parallels. History just repeats on a grander scale. I want to read that book eventually. It's about Lake Mead around the Colorado River. It's a poison body of water now. Anyway, that's uh, his chapter on trees. More interesting, though, I am asking, how did the OGs build these statues in the first place? Which takes us to chapter 3, The Ancient Path of Stone Giants. Take it away, Terry. <coughs> we know that the ancient islanders transported the multi-ton carved statues from the quarry to their current locations across miles of the island's rugged terrain. Early visitors were perplexed by such an astonishing feat given that the lack of trees on the island for providing the timber and rope that would presumably have been needed for the devices moving them. What's more, the island lacked draft animals and even the technology of the wheel, which would seem vital for this type of transportation vehicle they made. They had no ox, no big horses, and no wheels. That's actually pretty primitive. They were never able to make a wheel. They didn't need it. They were levitating stuff with their mind. Uh, Terry continues the quote, The natives own folklore handed down from generation to generation, telling of chiefs and priests imbued with manna, the concept of supernatural power found throughout Polynesia, who simply ordered the statues to walk. The statues walked for a distance each day, then stopped. Day after day, the priests would invoke the same rituals until the colossal moai had reached their destinations. There's the lore for you. They said that the priests were able to cast a spell and these things would just start dancing around. <laughs> they thought the priests could animate them like uh, Nancy Pelosi the Necromancer. <laughs> That's a black belt theory. Night at the Museum. You ever seen that one? They have the tablet of Akmara. And if you shine it in the moonlight, it's able to make a disembodied form come to life. <laughs> it's more likely, you know, the cold open for the show, I said it spoiled it. They probably just tied a rope around the head of the statue and then tugged it back and forth. 
but I like to think that a priest with mana under the moonlight <laughs> is able to make statues come to life. I wrote that in like 2019, a outline statue, uh, a fucking script of a movie where every statue in the world comes to life. And then I fucking remembered Night at the Museum exists. It would be a good movie, right? Imagine the Statue of Liberty battling the giant Russian Statue of Liberty they have. They have one. Look it up. It's holding a big sword. Torch versus sword. And the Statue of Liberty has a book as a shield. Yeah, we're going to get bodied. Terry spending more pages talking about uh, heaving the ropes back and forth. If it falls over, you're screwed. And this chapter is all about the roadways that they took. They did find fallen uh, statues all around the island. Terry spent a couple years with his archaeology team, and they said, uh, quote, Te Ara O Te Moai was the sign which no longer is present, and it means the road of the statues. It seems to point to an eroded rut in the barren, rocky, and red dirt landscape. Was this sign really pointed to a road of transporting the ancient statues? Not a good quote. He continued, After stopping our caravan of jeeps to get out and let the students stretch their legs that day, we decided to follow the unremarkable linear depression a few hundred feet up in the grass. And in the middle of the track, we encountered a multi-ton statue resting on its belly. You can't let them fall. You'll never be able to pick it back up. <laughs> you really did have one shot to walk them a couple of miles to the beach that you wanted it on. It's like a permanent pile up on the freeway. Terry started reading that the trails used to walk the islands were all big enough for Moai. So <laughs> obviously some of the trails the statues couldn't traverse up to the top of the volcanoes. There was also some trails that were built for statues only. It was called uh, Akahanga, the name of the South Beach. And there was six uh, roads, a six-lane freeway for these big oafs. And they would race them. Dude! That's the Olympics right there for these guys. The mightiest warriors would race the statue heads. So it wasn't just for decoration. This was the ball. <laughs> they weren't able to invent the wheel. So this was their toy. Archaeologists today also discovered on that Akanahi South Beach, there are sheep remains. So although they didn't have draft horses, yeah, they were vegan back then. No, they had sheep and they had all other kinds of sustenance through meat. All the bones are laddered around. This is Easter Island. You would think that there's uh, ham and uh, chocolate eggs hidden around. Terry followed one of the trails up to a plateau, and he found a sweet potato field, and it was protected by one of the giant moai. It was wild. There was uh, goat horns up there, too. They're drinking goat milk and eating sweet potato fries. This is the life. <laughs> you die of dysentery at 30, and you're done. Terry was astounded at the top of this plateau. They were able to get one of the heaviest statues up there. He said about one of the previous guys, Lieutenant Captain Geisler of the German Imperial Navy visited the island in 1882. Geisler wrote of the south coast a few hundred meters back from the beach. There he described about 20 fallen moai. Imagine seeing one of them fall, even into the sand. <laughs> like, you ever throw rocks off of a dam as a kid? It makes a noise when it hits the ground and the echoes... 
seeing a 70-ton statue fall and maybe shatter, maybe fall on a person, that'd be sweet. Uh, this guy was saying during in the racetrack that there were a lot of fallen ones. And did you notice he said 125 meters off coast? So the coastline is changing. It's going to come into play later. It's wild. All of this, only certain trails were for the statues. If, if I get to the top of Long's Peak out here in Colorado, I'm 14,000 feet in the sky, and up there is a Moai statue. I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> like, who put this here? It's a truly a mystery. Well, you never really understand until you see a weird-ass rock formation in real life. Is this man-made? What's going on here? In 2000, a University of Wyoming professor measured five miles of roads on Eastern Island. They were all 18 feet wide. And I looked it up, an average car lane width, nine feet. They were driving cars. Da -da -da -da. Yep, the Rapa Nui people <laughs> had semi-trucks to move the stone heads. They were saying along the sides of the roads, there were um, curbs, basically, as well. You ever notice if you're in a bad neighborhood, there aren't as high of or good curbs? And I also have a mysterious theory. In poor neighborhoods, the Wi-Fi is slower the cable companies aren't paying to put all the fiber optics in the slow. They know those people aren't going to pay their rent on time anyway. I think that's not even a theory at this point. <laughs> the anecdotal evidence exists. This Wyoming professor was nerding out over how the Rapa Nui were able to level out uh, hills. So they must have had like pickaxe type of uh, tools as well. I don't know, man. I think about that, too. When I'm 13,000 feet up in the tundra, somebody had to come up here with a pickaxe and dig out this entire trench for us to walk along. It's not that interesting. Let me continue with my X-Men file. Maybe the Moai were just giant Bluetooth devices. <laughs> it was called Blue Stone, right? They were able to communicate. Have you ever heard that theory? The Egyptians used the Nile River, just the water, to be able to send messages down. Uh, you can't really prove any of this, but it's fun to hear about. <laughs> Maybe the ISS is our current totem, and that's how we send the magical 5G to one another. The cool Has anybody turned on 5G yet? Is anybody using it? 4G's plenty. Terry ended this chapter saying most modern statues are like uh, pieces of metal just stuck together. I grew up outside of New York City. We had like three statues in our town that was just warped metal from the 9-11 monuments. <laughs> yeah, that made me feel good, but I, actually it did make me feel an air of mystery about the day, September 1st, much like you might have been felt when you uh, were around one of the Moai statues basically gonna end the chapter for us they built roads for these damn things pretty cool chapter four the statues that walked this chapter focusing on the crater one of those dead volcanoes where they built the things terry drops this quote 
yet others are buried a good way into the ground, some all the way up to their heads. Congregated here in so many states and positions, the Moai conjure up a vision of scores of artisans at work and an eerie sense that the latter have just left the planning to return tomorrow. It is easy to imagine that their work ceased in a single moment, as if with Pompeii some catastrophe occurred. Those Pompeii memes are funny. There's two guys, they went out to a cappuccino together right as the earth is ending, and then they get encased in magma together. Some archaeologist comes along. These two men must have been gay. They're not with their family at the end of the earth. That quote he's saying is just like Pompeii. The statues were littered all throughout the process, so it's not like they were working nine to five trying to move, 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 move. They would leave the statues in place and come back to it. I don't know when there was another savant that was ready to try to move the fucking things. Terry continued about the calderas. The walls of the crater are formed by a relatively easy carved tuff born of an explosive eruption that left behind compressed particles of ash and basalt. To do their carving, the islanders use crude hand axes known as toki, made out of basalt much harder than the quarry's volcanic tuff. The toki is the name of that pickaxe I was saying. Even more badass, the statues were carved into the basin of the old volcano. Some Dr. Evil shit. So some of them, they didn't even have the intention of moving. On the outside of the volcano, there were these chutes. So like I was saying, you could do log rollers to move these things. They used a lot of the cut-down palm trees to just put... Uh, like uh, in those drywall chutes that construction has. It looks like a McDonald's playpen slide. And it would... <laughs> you'd tell your kid to go through it. They wind up in the dump. Some of the Moai, they have like neck and shoulders. Some of them are just the head. Of course, some of them are the full body, you know. Thousands of them are left half finished in the quarry. It again, goes into that whole thing. Where the heck did these people go? You need a special permit nowadays to see into the quarry. There really aren't any pictures online, but apparently there's thousands of statues in there. Why can't we see that? It's ultra creepy. Uh, maybe something really did vaporize all these people and we're just told of the cute Easter Island story. Or what I really think it was some Tonto Indian that they let do whatever. He wasn't being productive to the tribe, so they were like, yeah, go get lost in the caldera. And they left this one guy alone and he <laughs> he's the genius that can't finish a project. And so there's all these half-finished Moais up there. James Cook wrote about taking shade under some of the statues under the Oaha platforms. So Terry was writing the one that Captain Cook sat under is gone now. So there were even more, and we don't know where they are. Captain Cook wrote in his diary, too, that his team was unable to move the statues. A bunch of pirates. They had pirate strength, dude. Uh, this is like the... Uh, What's that called? You pull Excalibur's sword out of the stone? It's that, but for engineering. We got this other guy, William Malloy, tries to pull the sword out of the stone. Quote, The young American archaeologist on the expedition would continue work on the island, and he took the walking notion to heart, proposing a method of swinging a semi-upright moai suspended by its neck with ropes from a wooden bipod, a contraption like a tripod but with only two legs. That's why you called it a bipod, Terry. 
No one ever trusted Malloy's theory by experiment, and indeed it would have proven difficult to move the statues that way to say the least. This is something I also put into the intro video. Those little walking machines. I can't explain it. It's like a... It looks like a ladder ball. <laughs> I'm going to try to get my uh, grandma that's in a wheelchair and put her on a ladder ball bipod walking machine. <laughs> Seriously, go back to the intro. Maybe this is how they moved the stones for the Egyptian pyramids as well. And those things are only like two and a half tons. We're talking 70 tons today. You don't need electricity. It's just using its own momentum. I saw recently online another redneck engineering thing. This guy invented a clamp that as it, the weight increases, the force inward, it uses its own weight to hold itself up. And so everything has to be plugged into the wall with electricity to be technology today. But there's all these other kinds of movement that people figured out. That's wild what that American guy figured out. I already hear the internet commenters, No! It took a million Jews to lift those blocks with pulleys to build the pyramids. Are you sure? <laughs> Seriously, look into the stone cutting. <clears throat> we can't even do that with uh, diamond cutting water jets. It's all about torque. I'm expecting to see the protesting French break out a trebuchet catapult soon. What happened to Torque? We're obsessed with twerking in our civilization. Twerk. The man who cracked the code, or at least what we think is the way they walked. His name was Pavel Pavel, a Czech scientist. Does he have two first names or two last names? Quote, imaginatively, he made clay moai models in miniature and discovered that their center of gravity often occurred at about one-third of their height, making them stable like a bowling pin. His next step was try to move it a full-size moai. Using the grounds of the technical secondary school in the medieval town of Strokonice, in then-communist Czechoslovakia, Pavel fashioned a concrete moai about 14 feet tall and weighed a respective 12 tons. He moved it. 1982, he got like 80 of his closest Slavs and they were able to rhythmically heave, ho, vodka, pickles, and back and forth they were able to waddle the statue and were the first ones in thousands of years to move a multi-ton moai. I'm saying go back and watch the videos from the beginning. It's wild how much weight you can move just with people working in unison. To end the chapter, he was talking about some other mysteries like Stonehenge. There was a guy who built a model of Stonehenge, you know, two-size, miniature, and he took a, a speaker and he put it into the thing. And it turns out Stonehenge can make massive decibel reverberations that's all it is it's a speaker and you know nowadays you're not allowed within 100 yards of the stones somewhere you stand in the stonehead statue and you start speaking you could project your voice to thousands of people we know nothing about this sacred geometry where if you just set up rocks you could create a wild echo but no stonehenge is where they sacrificed virgins to the blood god <laughs> like Look that shit up for yourself. It blew my mind watching him bounce the speakers off of it. 
maybe maybe the pyramids are gigantic speakers as well and that's why you're not allowed in king tut's chamber if you're in there and you rip a fart half of egypt would hear it <laughs> it's wild man you're not allowed to go and investigate the history this whole book is probably a bigger surprise to you if you also were a furniture mover for a while me and my buddies holy shit dude moving a fridge that's what you do. You eke it back and forth and walk it le- corner by corner. So it's not really that big of a deal. But just to s- imagine 70 tons these people are moving. It's wild. My moving clients, I bet they would sacrifice me to the fucking refrigerator gods if one of their things spoiled. <laughs> Here's a fun theory to end it. Captain Cook, who Terry keeps mentioning in this book, but Terry conveniently leaves out this fact when captain cook went to patagonia which is the same latitude the closest land to uh easter island captain cook wrote that he met 10 foot tall natives so let's just leave that out of all the historical records right it's fucking bullshit what the academics get to pick and choose stays in the history books seriously uh like they found a gigantic metal ball in the bosnian pyramids recently (laughs) what is this for it's thousands of pounds this guy terry just said that the moai are shaped like bowling pins how do we know some patagonian giants weren't just using easter island as their bowling alley (laughs) there's a lot of bigger questions we could ask here history books should be pop-up books with theories in them my sixth grade teacher said that the pyramids are the only pyramids in the world in Egypt. So (laughs) we're unearthing giant bowling balls out here. Let's move along to chapter five, Ahu and houses. Listen to this Hobbesian ass quote Terry starts with, quote, who were the clients of this hard-bitten islet that could afford to draw the bulk of the talent and muscle of the population away from the life and death struggle of food? The horrors of nature. It's a constant battle between life and death. (laughs) How could we carry on? If you take a three-mile walk in the forest, you can leave with a pound of edible mushrooms. Like, food is all around you if you know how to identify it. These archaeologists have their philosophical wires crossed. I think it affects some of their work sometimes. Food's literally fucking everywhere. (laughs) The life and death part of nature that these Hobbesians get wrong is that it's not a constant struggle. Most of the day, you are chilling like a villain. It is make or break moments. I'm not saying, of course, there's death in nature. Being outside shows you what those critical seconds are. There's a storm coming. Am I going to shelter or am I going to go surfing? That's the critical moment. It's not always life or death every single second. That's why we're stressed and we die sooner and Greeks live till 90. They have a ban in that town too. It's an off-grid thing where everyone lives till 90. But we're smarter. Terry's buddy John McMillian Brown assumed the island must have once been larger and that vast agricultural fields essential to support the thousands who made the Moai must have sunk beneath the sea. So to Terry's thesis, they were wasting all their energy building statues. He, this other guy was like, I told you already. <laughs> the, the coastline was a lot further back. 
so they had more room to farm. Must have been a lot of farmland, because this chapter is about the Ahus, and underwater, they found even more gargantuan ones. Think about how much more food you would have been needing to eat a draft horse in order to move those big of stones. Like, we don't even have a method, no bipods, no tugging back and forth. It doesn't even make sense how they moved these gigantic platforms. They're all across the seabed of the Pacific. That's why underwater might be more interesting than outer space. Maybe these Samoans walked across the seafloor for a period of time that we just assume was full of water. The Ahus are honestly a bigger feat of engineering than the Moai. William J. Thompson Quote, the paymaster of the USS Mohican conducted the first systematic inventory of Ahu. In 1886, Thompson walked the coastline of Rapa Nui and identified 113 Ahu. A couple more specs. By 1886, the population of the island consisted of only 155 individuals, which only 111 were adults, 68 men, 43 women shit ratio i would canoe out of there and given the loss of population we have to expect that there was some loss of inherent knowledge yes the people did get stupider as well uh terry dragged out the story he's going time went on 150 total ahus were uncovered and they just keep finding more and more stuff the deeper we dive 1774, Captain Cook wrote, The Ahu walls are built or rather faced with hewn stone of very large size, and the workmanship is not inferior to the best plain piece of masonry we have in England. They use no sort of cement, yet the joints are exceedingly close, and the stones mortised and tenanted into one another in a very artful manner. We already read the book, guys. The Masons was a drinking club. (laughs) these people I guess they didn't have alcohol so they just built statues black and white pictures of this chapter were pretty amazing some of the statues have gigantic stone baskets on their head so if Terry was saying the island was so scarce for resources how come the statues are depicted carrying bounties of fruit something's not adding up here bro mention the giants he looks like the (laughs) some of the statues he said they're bottom heavy it really does look like they're about to collapse underneath their own weight the artsmanship and all these joints truly are fucking amazing regarding the ahus quote from the top of the platform ahu typically slope downward to a lower ledge the slope is often decorated with a careful array of poro stone uh yeah more of these stones that are super rare and not local to the island so how did they get the stones there bigger question to that hand he said they the ahus were angled inwards i found that interesting because you know like the parthenon in greece and a lot of those uh greek temples they're made with optical illusions just to mess with your eyes those builders were amazing they would tilt the spires inwards and somehow this is more structurally sound than the world trade center which can free fall thanks to an elevator shaft (laughs) And you think since we have lasers, we can make the building completely straight up to 1,700 feet in the air. Okay, but is that more structurally sound than these techniques that we lost? But we have lasers. Lasers. It means safer. Uh, Terry, 
found caribou scraps and all kind of cold weather animals in the ahus so this sparked even more questioning maybe these ahus were uh trading platforms like open air plazas for the rapa nui i mentioned it a couple times this island might have been the original istanbul the crossroads of the world or at least polynesia how come there was a fucking caribou down there it's global warming there was an ice age why would you need 150 ahu 150 supermarkets on one island this place must have been fucking bumping this is straight up atlantis beforehand certainly a lot going on here start picking up some more magazines and waiting rooms I don't know. If this isn't sparking the curiosity lobe of your brain, nothing will. <laughs> Let's go to our last chapter, number six, The Collapse. Captain Roloff Rosendahl and the crew of the Dutch vessel De Akachanaf Galley, the African Galley, spotted the island of Rapa Nui on the afternoon of Easter Sunday, April 5th, 1722. First thing the natives did was throw a rubber chicken at them and say, April Fools. They waited for their other three ships to pull up, just in case this was Cannibal Island. One of the most tense moments in history here. We got a quote. As they prepared to make landfall, a native Rapa Nui man paddled a small canoe out to the Tenhoven. This man examined the ship closely, testing the tautness of the spars, the rigging and guns, as well as his own face in the mirror. The Dutch did the same, noting that he was quite nude and hapless. A short while later, the man left the ship after accepting two blue glass beaded necklaces, a small mirror and a pair of scissors, and an assortment of the other items the Dutch had available for gifts and trade. Not long after this initial visit, a great many canoes approached the ship and their occupants swarmed aboard. thought that was interesting. He put the scissors in the guy's... <laughs> hands i thought they already had scissors that's not interesting at all but why would they give this native feral guy a weapon as soon as they met him this could have at the drop of a pin turned into a swashbuckling battle listen to this diary entry from one of the crewmates crewmate when imposter is sus my brain is broken Quote is, these people showed us at the time that their great cupidity for everything they saw and were so daring that they took the seamen's hats and caps from their heads and sprang overboard with the spoil. <laughs> they really stole the clothes off of their back. These goddamn redskins. It's hilarious, bro. You go on someone's ship. I am the captain now. Take the hat off of his head and just dive off of starboard. Another account of the Rapa Nui. One of the guys pulled up to the captain's porthole. He snuck into the quarters and stole all these satin blankets and other fabrics. This is the most psychedelic day ever for these natives who are probably drinking peyote every day. They uh, stole microfiber plush, which is really fun to touch. And they stole mirrors. Like they said, that first native looked himself forever. Never seeing your face? <laughs> I wish. And from our Western point of view, <laughs> you're probably thinking, yes, it would be so nice to make the discovery and have my name put in the history books. How much cooler would it have been to be the Native American? For a moment in time, they just stepped into the future. 
what? Your whole life is connected to the land, and then you go on this spaceship, a sea ship that has all this technology. <laughs> it's pretty dope. The Dutch handled this in, like, the whitest fashion ever. All of the ships wound up pulling into the shore, and the men had their guns ready. The locals, the warrior class at least, were standing behind the crowds with rocks ready to throw at the soldiers. Everybody wanted to trade. It was a real hectic situation. All it takes is one cracker with an itchy trigger finger. And you got this quote. The Dutch estimated that 10 or 12 Rapa Nui were killed and some unknown number who were wounded. Fortunately, the Dutch commanders called for a ceasefire and the crowds of Rapa Nui fled in terror. <laughs> I like how that quote said, an unknown number. They could have killed as many people as they want and then just botched the history book. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> That at the Nuremberg trial, a dozen Nazis were uh, given the death sentence for gassing Jews at Dachau. Nowadays, we don't recognize Dachau as ever having a gas chamber. I'm not denying anything out here. All I'm doing is pointing out to everybody, you need a proof and double check your history. <laughs> this is truly a poor situation here. I mean, they pulled up to the island for the first time. Everybody wanted to trade they knew. And, uh, yeah, they just wound up Boston massacring a bunch of people. <laughs> the history really does get sketchy from here on out. More unknown numbers. The people return in 1750 with a ton of goods. However, the Rapa Nui didn't want to trade. So they don't come back they kind of write off the island forever i think that was 1726 the first time they went back and then it was 1750 in which they came back and slaughtered all the natives <laughs> and they uh like basically were saying the kings of denmark and all these countries were going wait they don't want to buy our stuff what the hell this is go try again bring them better spices and still, they were content with their way of life. So the only thing you could do now is genocide them and steal their art. And that's exactly what happened. By 1804, Russian sailor Yuri Lysansky reported seeing just 20 standing Moai. In 1830, British sailor aboard the MHS Strangpatam note just eight remaining upright. The last report of standing Moai comes from the accounts in 1838 by French naval officer able port at that time there was just four statues noted it's really sad i guess there's treasure out there for us treasure hunters thousands of moai heads across the globe to be recovered but uh <laughs> yeah we fucking looted the shit out of this place <laughs> we the white man Newer research about the Rapa Nui coming out saying they might have been a cargo cult. So probably a lot of the people were able to uh, paddle off of the island after a few more Boston massacres in the 1720s. Like they got the message. <laughs> this is not our island anymore. Maybe there's another remote island out there with a bunch of Moai heads. A couple hundred Rapa Nui stayed onto the island until 1870. And that's when the last generation died out. Archaeologists today, they keep on digging. They keep finding more heads. So it goes deeper. Maybe this island is older than we thought. Bigger question at hand, I would say, is 
what is the primal urge that all humans have to create something bigger than ourselves? And maybe not all humans. <laughs> Some of the adults are content with consuming. A weird ambition, really, like to build something more than your shelter. When does a project cross the line from ambition to hubris? People think like the drive to create deep down comes from a fear of death. You're knowing internally, I'm going to die, so i got to try to leave my mark here. As this civilization winds down, I bet you see more artists. Just like they were saying, if you know that your civilization is about to die, it makes you even more self-centered. Weak men create clown world. Clown world creates clowns. The only thing that'll last <laughs> like the internet's gonna get wiped out i'm not saying my book catalog is gonna i understand i hate myself i think the only piece of art that's gonna last our civilization is the georgia guidestones <laughs> you need to look into this creepy machiavellian monolith this one says that a healthy earth sustainability population is 500,000 and it's written in several languages like we want to defy time so bad as humans this asshole first testament god he smote <laughs> the entire world because they came together to build the tower of babel it's like an underlying theme of the show today same as the georgia guidestones we're gonna build something that outlasts god or the power of nature he made us speak different languages in that story the tower of babel so that we couldn't get along you know, some more lore. They used to say humans used to be able to telepathically communicate. And then God that took that away from us to make us fight. Fucking douchebag. <laughs> I'm starting to think that humans are innately good. And God is the asshole making us fight for his entertainment. Whatever you want to call it. Nature. God. In order for this uh, petri dish or simulation to continue... We need entropy. We need this variety. And that comes in creation. This fucking DNA standardization, this social media cloning you're seeing people turn into, or the social credit score, which will just turn off your money if you're not acting enough like everybody else. We're turning people into the lack of variety. <laughs> What's like a... That's equity. That's not equality. This is the true apocalypse. Everybody just becoming a gray blob. Things dry up in periods of history and ambition goes away. Hubris is always there. That's like the empire's drive, which eventually catalyzes its own demise. I don't know if it's making sense, but that's exactly what the Georgia Guidestones is. We're going to reduce the U.S. population to a healthy 500,000. Why? Are you sure that you are the one who's supposed to make that decision? Equality is bad. <laughs> you know what the universal language is. It's not the Georgia Guidestones and the Tower of Babel or the Tablet of Achman Ra. It's fucking humor. Mark Twain said God's greatest gift to the world is laughter. I know it's gay, but slapstick humor hits anywhere on the globe. Seriously, if you're well-spirited, people can tell. That's the telekinesis we haven't lost, baby. Gonna end it real hippie, it sounds like. If the world would just come together under laughter, love, rather than some super government... <laughs>
we could build a Moai as big as the Statue of Liberty. As big as the Burj Khalifa, son. I want to see one of these heads going up into the clouds. And instead of fighting each other every four years in the NWO organized Olympics, we all get together and we walk our statues together. How fucking cool would that be for unity and burping at the end of the show? I don't know, people. The Moai is a symbol of mystery and lost civilizations. That's a theme here every single month on Nick's Nonfiction. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for turning in to Terry Hunt's The Statues That Walked. Hopefully next week I cannot say the words turning in because I think I've said that every single month this year. Thank you guys for checking this book out seriously. And definitely go get subscribed on that Patreon later this month. I'm not sure if we're going to do uh, Momar Gaddafi's Green Book, <laughs> but those editions are getting more salacious by the segment. And uh, as for next week on the show, we have... Can I get a proper drum roll from the goddamn soundboard, please? Ladies and gentlemen, we have Reefer Madness by Eric Slosher. It's going to be our fucking 420 episode, man. It's another uh, personal favorite author of mine. Eric Slosher writes all of the food books. This guy goes deep on everything. And this book's more than about fucking pot, dude. It's about porn and it's about sex trafficking. All of the black markets of this empire. We're going to learn the fuckery of uh, Reefer Madness and that early propaganda campaign from the 1930s people are falling for probably through 2030. There you had it, ladies and gentlemen. Terry Hunt, the statues that walks. Patreon.com slash the niche. Instagram.com. Harry Schwunt. To play me out, can I get a random soundboard effect? beautiful sound to go out on ladies and gentlemen i can't wait to do this again with you guys in seven short days thank you again for tuning in my name is nick munez i will see you all then love you stay up peace